0: We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burrows and I'm TJ Darty and we are the Reformed Informants. Man, the snow is gone, the power is on, the internet and Wi-Fi are full force we can finally record again
1: yeah man, i i still remember of course you being however many hundreds of miles south of me ended up with worse winter conditions than we had during that ice and snow storm of of uh of, of this year and so uh when you texted me and said you were out of the you know no internet no, i thought of course i felt bad for you but i felt really bad for me because then we couldn't record so i'm glad you're back
0: yeah man, you know today's March 1st but you know the the snowstorm, the winter storms hit uh, I guess about 2 weeks ago and mm-hmm. of course everybody really across the United States experienced it to one degree or another. Right. No pun in, no no pun intended there but uh yeah man, I mean the temperatures were like in the single digits, wind chill factor was below zero like Texas you know Texans always get the bad rap of not being able to handle bad weather, right? Like they can't yeah, drive in I'm bad mar- weather. I'm
1: married to one. So yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, but the reality is do we can't handle zero degree temperatures for a week? Like we just don't have the infrastructure to do that, man. So I
1: know, I know I'm, I'm thankful. I know it was a very serious thing for a lot of people. Um, thankfully, uh, my circle and I, I'm hoping yours as well was relatively unaffected by by at the end of the day that you guys were able to to get through and of course the inconvenience of of not having internet for a while is a is that's a big deal but uh, we're we're glad that we're able to to come back so for those who are listening and maybe you're wondering why it was a couple of weeks uh, between episode recordings that's what happened so we had all these these plans we're ready to roll internet wasn't doing what it was supposed to. Uh, took a while to get that back on. You went quite some time without it, and so it just made sense to, to wait and get back on a regular routine on Monday night, so glad to be back.
0: Yeah, man. So here we are. Um, this is episode 62, Pneumatology Part 4, and we've titled this episode, The Procession or Spiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, man, I, I, I'm going to have to admit, uh, as we get rolling here, man, I'm going to I'm just going to say it like I think this episode above every other episode, man, this might rank number one in terms of episodes that we're about to record.
1: That's that's a loft That's a lofty goal, man. That's you're setting you're setting the bar real high up front. Are you you're confident doing that?
0: Yeah, man. And the the reason is because, one, we're talking about the um, most misunderstood or the forgotten member of the Trinity. However to amplify that a little more, the subject matter that we're going to discuss in this episode is almost completely forgotten. And Uh, I I think if we could recapture it for this episode, um, it it could really become a foundational doctrine for pneumatology. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I I would 100% agree. And I especially... I, I would lament, and we've talked about this a little bit uh, on the podcast before, but I would lament that this particular conversation has been forgotten almost exclusively within the church. So you, you've got those in the academy who have this conversation, and it's going to feel—well, it. It, well, it could feel like this— this deep theological discussion that doesn't seem to have implication for the church. That's not the case at all. You and I were talking beforehand already about why this is so pivotal, why it matters, uh, why we're so excited to have the conversation. But uh, you're right, man. Like the average church member, regardless of how many decades they've been in the church are, the, they're unfamiliar with the terminology and, and the doctrine and the, the theological conclusions of the procession of the Holy spirit. Why that precise language matters where it comes from in scripture. Um, I, I'm just excited to to be able to bring some light to this conversation uh, for the church. Cause that's what we do this podcast for. It's not, uh, uh it's not for the Academy. Thankful for the Academy. This is for the church. And so, um, you're right, man, this is, this is a conversation that, uh, that I think desperately needs to be had. So I'm, I'm glad we're, uh, embarking on it,
0: man. Yeah. You said that, uh, perfectly. We're, we're trying to capture, this nuance of this doctrine and bring it back inside the church walls, get it back in the pews. Um, Because, man, after looking over this and you and I both, you know, putting together this guide, it has been on my mind a lot. Um, And I think that our listeners, once we finish up, uh, we'll be able to understand, you know, why we're kind of, uh, you know, hyping this thing up um, here from the beginning. Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree, and I'm ready to ready to get in. For, for our listeners, I mean, we mentioned at the beginning um, that we had to delay recording. We were ready to record two weeks ago, and I believe just right before we hopped on, the internet just disappeared for you. And so we've been kind of hanging in the balance, waiting to have this conversation. So maybe there's an element of that as well, because we've been prepared Um, And and this episode, I'll speak for myself here. We're 62 episodes in. Uh, This may have been the most I've had to think and be precise with my words on our episode guide. Like I've had to really think through um, how we're going to communicate this because we want to communicate clearly and we don't want to bring fogginess. We don't want to bring confusion. And so I'm excited about this, but also I'm there, there's a there's a bit of humility in play here to say this is something that we want to be really um, upfront. We want to be really careful with our words, and we want to be very intentional with how we uh, go about answering these questions.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, so let me give uh, our listeners an overview of where we're going with the episode, and then I'm going to kick it back to you, TJ, so you can kick us off with a. Um, classic quote that that I think really yeah. sets the stage um for for the episode. So big picture, uh, we're going to lay out and define some terms. We're also going to talk briefly about the Trinity, two particular aspects of the Trinity, the ontological Trinity and the economic Trinity. Then we're going to move into uh, the idea of God sending Christ. Um, that God sent Christ specifically into the world for a particular purpose. Um, Then we're going to examine the biblical text. Um, Then we're going to come to a conclusion and draw out some applications. So in all of this, though, uh, this is all related and all building to where we're going with the episode on the procession of the Holy Spirit, the spiration of the Holy Spirit. We want to be meticulous. Uh, we want to walk through this slowly. Uh-huh. Um, and I think the framework that we've laid out really captures and will help us unfold this neglected doctrine
1: yeah and that's that's awesome um, and, and I hope that we're able to follow exactly as you've uh, precisely laid it out for us. So that's the that's the goal, um, and that will guide our conversation. So uh, to, to put some context into this, so we're going to begin to define some terms, but to, to kind of kick off this con- this conversation, at this point, we're a handful of minutes in, you may be wondering, what are we even talking about today? Well, remember, we're in our pneumatology, uh, pneumatology series. We've been talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We've developed a couple of Uh, specific components of that. We've talked about his person. We've talked about the fact that he is uh, divine and that we've talked about his work. And uh, we've talked about several things, but there's a question that potentially could be asked at this point. So as we've wrestled with the personhood of the Holy Spirit, uh, and we've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is of the same divine essence, the same being as the Father and the Son. Well, The Father and the Son, there's a distinction even in the persons of Father and Son based on their name. Like, Father and Son, there's a distinction there. But here's a question. So if, if the Holy Spirit is of the same divine nature of the Son, of Jesus, then what is there that distinguishes them? In other words, could someone conclude that God the Father has two sons? The, the, the older brother, the younger brother okay that, that's the question that we're trying to wrestle with in terms of the Trinity and the relationships between the person. So there's a question that that has been posed and listen to the way that basil of Caesarea, fourth century theologian, listen to the way that he answers this question. This will help kick us off. He says, quote, "We do not speak of the Holy Spirit as unbegotten." for we recognize that one who is unbegotten and one origin of all things, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't use the word unbegotten to describe the Holy Spirit because unbegotten is what is used to describe the Father. Okay, so he says we don't use unbegotten when we describe the Holy Spirit, nor, he says, do we speak of the Holy Spirit as begotten. So he's not He's, he's not unbegotten, but he's also not begotten, for by the tradition of the faith, we've been taught that there is one who is the only begotten. That comes from John 3, 16, that Jesus Christ is the only begotten, the only one who has been, uh, who has been begotten from the Father. So then he says, but the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, we have been taught, has proceeded from the Father, and we confess him to be of God without creation. So, let summarize that quote, summarize why that's important, and then we'll get into uh, the discussion a little bit.
0: Oh, my brain is already on fire, man. It's this man, this is so deep. this is yes. so good. This is so rich. I, mm. I, I would at least like to to begin by saying, man, this this is this is plumbing the depths of God. Is. This is, is diving into the deep mysteries of God. Um, which is such a joy, not only for the theologian, uh, the academician, but the mm-hmm. church person, right. uh, the churchman, right? Um, yeah, so to bounce off what you said, to bounce off what Basil is saying here, is we're trying to articulate that within the Trinity, th- there is a unique relationship amongst all three members, right? You, you, so That's you right. said that God the Father is unbegotten. That's how scripture portrays him. That's how scripture reveals him. God the Father is being unbegotten. God the Son is begotten. Like you said, John 3.16, the only begotten Son, um, the unique Son, monogenes is is, uh, the Greek word there, the unique Son, the one and only Son, but that language isn't attributed to the Holy Spirit, just like you said and with the title of our episode. The Scripture speaks of God sending forth that the Spirit proceeds from God. He, the Spirit right. isn't called the one unique Son because then it wouldn't be the one and only unique Son, right, right? right? So,
1: right by definition, He can't be.
0: So, again, we're we're not trying to work through all of those intricacies because I don't think that I possibly could, and we definitely couldn't cover that in one episode. But what we're trying to highlight is there is a difference, not in essence. God, Christ, and the Spirit are all the same, but there is a difference between their unique roles.
1: That's exactly where we want to go. We want to talk about the distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit— not in their essence, because their essence is of the same, but also not in their work. And so we, we are trying to make a distinction uh, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in terms of their relationship to one another. And so, uh, Lance, let's define some terms, okay? You, you've used the word procession. You've used the word spiration. What are those terms? Why do they matter? Help help me put some context to those those ideas.
0: Yeah, well, th- this this idea um is born out of john 1526. That, that that is really the text uh, that captures this doctrine of course there are more and we're going to go through that but in john 15 26 we are told that the father sends forth the holy spirit that the father sends forth or spirates the holy spirit so you could define it this way that the father and son spirate the Holy Spirit, or to to say it another way, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the the Greek word there for um, proceeding, or the the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, or goes out, or comes from the Father and the Son, ekporouomai, is the Greek word there. Okay. And that preposition there ek intensifies what mm-hmm. peruomai means, which means to go out. So there's an intensifying effect there with ek peruomai. In other words, God and Christ are sending forth, and they proceed, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from them both. Okay, that's spiration, okay. procession. It, it's coming from that particular Greek word. So th- that's at least initially where we want to start.
1: Yeah, so so procession and spiration are two sides of the same coin, then, right? The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and the Holy, or excuse me, and the Father and the Son then spirate the Holy Spirit that they send forth. Am I correct right. in, in saying it this way? Yeah, that's right.
0: And that that same Greek word, and I love this because I love the Book of Revelation, but that same Greek word is used of the two witnesses. In Revelation chapter 11, when it says mm-hmm. that fire proceeds out of their mouth. So I, I think that gives at least some sort of a picturesque meaning to when, what we mean when we're dealing with this particular word. That the Father and the Son, they spirate the Holy Spirit. The Spirit proceeds from the, the Father and the Son.
1: Okay, so we're, we're defining our term. So to say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, you, you, there's one other element that I want to draw our attention to that you mentioned, and that is that he proceeds that the Father and the Son send the Spirit in order to accomplish specific work. There, there's, there's a purpose for this, this sending. In other words, we're not saying that the Father and the Son are communing eternally and the Holy Spirit just falls out, right? Like it's, it's it, there's intentionality, uh, for lack of a better word picture there, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit is proceeding. He's been sent forth. Now, that should not be surprising to us because we see that same type of thing in the Trinity within another relationship, right? And I'm thinking of the Father and the Son. The Father sends the Son— The the son is begotten of the father and the father sends the son to accomplish redemption. And then later, the father later in uh, progressive revelation, the father and the son then send the Holy Spirit who doesn't he's he's not begotten from the father. Rather, he proceeds from the father and the son. Okay, so that's, that's the distinction that we're wanting to make. We want to make sure that we've defined those terms, and then we'll discuss uh, kind of how that relates to the Trinity. Uh, but any, other thing, any anything else we want to comment here on defining those terms and kind of where we've set the table?
0: I mean, I think, I think we covered that. Again, we've tried to, with this episode, co- to condense and distill this, this doctrine in a way that isn't overcomplicated, and that's easy to track and easy to follow along with. Um, and I think we've done that at least initially here, talking about what we mean when we say procession or spiration and how that relates to um, the Holy Spirit in particular, that God and Christ are doing the sending forth. Okay. Right. So th- that moves us into uh, the next area of our episode that we want to make sure that we have. Uh, laid out before we continue any further, um, we want to revisit the Trinity. Now we discussed the Trinity way back when we were amateurs, man. Two whole <laughs> years, <laughs> right. two whole years ago. I think we did one episode on the Trinity, and we're excited to revisit that in in, in the years to come.
1: Yeah. W- what One episode, right? Like we just, yeah. we just tackled the whole thing in one episode because we were amateur. So n- yeah. now, now we would do, I don't know, five or six, but yeah, that <laughs>
0: that's down the road. So what we want to do here uh, at, at this point in this episode is we, we just want to broadly talk about the Trinity as far as the ontological Trinity goes. And the economic trinity goes. So I'm going to talk about what we mean when we say the ontological trinity, and then TJ, I'm going to send it to you to kind of develop the the econ- economic idea, um, which is both of these are absolutely critical to understanding the procession or, or spiration of uh, the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, but before you talk before you talk about that, let me let me just emphasize what you just said, and that is that this conversation or this component of the of the episode is absolutely critical. So if you've, you know, if you're driving, you kind of checked out a little bit, you're you're going to have a hard time following the f- the future discussion here without this. Okay? This is kind of the key uh in my study and my preparation. This was like the key that unlocked this mystery to a degree. I mean, there's still a mystery here. There's still incomprehensibility here, but in order to actually grapple and, and to get on the playing field, you, you got to have this. So this is really, really important to to understand the difference, the distinction between the, ontolog- the ontological and the economic trinity. Don't be scared by those words. Uh, you, you're going to understand the concepts, but you got to make sure you, you have those things in place. So Lance, talk about ontological trinity. What does that word mean? Where did we get that? What, what are we doing there?
0: Yeah, so if we can make the ontological trinity as – basic as we possibly can and boil it down to uh, the most elementary definition, I guess you could say, Um, which on the one hand, the Trinity is not elementary at all, but to, to, to boil this down, we would say the ontological Trinity that the scripture teaches that God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all God and they are completely equal in their essence and their being. Okay? The Holy Spirit is 100% God. There is nothing about the Spirit that is not God. Jesus Christ the Son is 100% God. There is nothing about Christ that is not God. And God the Father is also 100% God. There is nothing about God that isn't God. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all equal in mm-hmm. being, in their essence, in their person. They they are they are equal. There, there, is, there is no unequality with God, with the Trinity. Okay, mm-hmm. this, this is also sometimes called the imminent trinity. And we're just referring to the Trinity itself at its core. God, Christ, and the Spirit are equal with each other.
1: And when you think about the ontological Trinity, what you what you what you come to understand then is that there is no hierarchy, so to speak. Right there, there's no uh, distinction where it's okay. The Father is is a little bit more God than the sun, uh, who's also a little bit more God than the whole, it's not like rungs on a ladder. Like the point of the ontological trinity is to, is to establish the Trinitarian doctrine that we hold to, that God is one in essence. When we get to the economic trinity, this is where you begin to see more of the emphasis on the three persons of the trinity, because the economic trinity It specifically deals with the roles of those persons, uh, in other words, their work. And so there's a distinction that's made between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not in their essence, not in their ontology or their being, but in their work, in the economy of what they do. And in, in particular, we've talked about this before, that you can see this very clearly in the work of creation and in the work of redemption. So, in Scripture, I'm not going to rehash all of this, but in scripture we've we've identified the way in which, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all active. Uh, the Father is the one who creates. Uh, everything is created through the Son and for the Son, and the Holy Spirit is active in creation, preparing creation for habitation. And so you have all three persons of the Trinity, and yet there's distinction that's made in the economy of what they do. That's the the, the economic Trinity. The, the same is is uh, can be said in the... A study of salvation or redemption, right? The the Father initiates, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies, and so you have these three roles that the persons of the Trinity play, uh, while not related to their their being, their essence. Rather, there's a distinction that's made. Uh, based on the economy of who uh, of their work, so that's that's the the difference between the ontological understanding of the Trinity and the economic understanding of the Trinity. Now, when we begin to compare those two, we have those kind of categories in place. Lance, our conversation today about the procession of the Holy Spirit. Which of those two trinities are we, uh, of those understandings of the trinity, which of those categories are we dealing with? Are we dealing more with economic trinity or more with ontological trinity?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you could draw implication and application from both um, ontological and economic, but our focus and emphasis for this episode uh, really leans towards the economic trinity in other words, what the Holy Spirit's role is within the Trinity. And again, you know, we're, we're trying to label these categories, uh, you know, for a particular purpose. You know, we're trying to make this a little more accessible as to where we are going. And I, I say that to say that most of our listeners are already on board with the economic Trinity. I would mm-hmm. say, if if not all of them, be, because everyone listening would affirm that Jesus Christ died on the cross. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. Right. Or God the Father did not die on the cross. So y- even if you haven't come across this type of terminology before, you, you guys are closet economic Trinitarians mm-hmm. just by default of knowing and understanding the gospel. So I think that segues us into uh, the next point in our episode um, dealing with the economic trinity, uh, w- which would be the God sending Christ motif. And, and basically all we're saying here is that we want to give you an example of how the economic trinity works in terms of God and Christ, and then we want to really work through the economic trinity in terms of God and Christ. Uh, sending forth the Spirit, or the the Spirit proceeding from both of them. Does that does that make sense, TJ? Are we good there?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think so. And um, we'll we'll come back whenever we get to actually working through the biblical case for procession uh, when talking about the uh, importance of understanding this distinction that is occurring even within the ontological Trinity. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm tracking with you. So so. Walk us through uh, just a few verses. I mean, there's, what, a dozen of these that are just lined up one after another in the Gospel of John. But just show us from Scripture what you see with the Father sending the Son and and how that demonstrates this distinction between these persons.
0: Okay, yeah, so, yeah, John, the Gospel of John is... Uh, super influential towards this particular doctrine. It's heavy and weighty with this doctrine: uh, the procession of the Spirit and and also um, God ascending Christ. And TJ mentioned that there's a dozen or so references that we could talk about here, and that's absolutely true. I'll just mention a couple here from John chapter five. Uh, Jesus speaking in John chapter five verse twenty three that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay, that's verse 23. Listen to verse 24. Jesus continues, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And then just one more here in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can, do, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And again, we could go on. Chapter five, verse thirty-seven. John chapter six, uh, verse thirty-nine. John seventeen six, or John seven sixteen. John seven eighteen. John seven twenty-eight. John eight eighteen and and there are more i just stopped putting references on the guide because i think the point <laughs> <Right>. got
1: across <laughs> <laughs> yeah they just roll one after another and, and it, i mean it's just very clear and and i would say again to this point if you're listening you would likely affirm this and may have not put Thought to it necessarily, but that the Father sends the Son, that the Son didn't just bounce out of heaven one day and say, All right, I'm heading down to the earth, I'm going to incarnate. Like that didn't happen. Uh, there, there's a, a, a relational aspect here that the Father sent the Son. And, and so we, we would affirm that aspect. We would we would acknowledge that, but I think it's important to to demonstrate that this is what we see uh, in this relationship between the Father and the Son in the eternal relationship in the Trinity.
0: Yeah, man, that's that, that's absolutely right. Now, we've been building this up, so let's get to the text and actually defend here. Uh, what we're talking about when we mean the procession or spiration of the Holy Spirit is there biblical evidence, or are we just grasping at straws? Have we just, you know, have we just made this thing up on the fly, um, or, or is there true biblical evidence uh, to defend this? And of course, uh, as we've done on the podcast for the last couple of years, uh, anything that we discuss is always rooted in the Word of God, and that's where we want to begin. As right. we open this up here, so um, to kick us off, uh, John fourteen twenty six, the Upper Room discourse. This is the night before Jesus, uh, Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, he's speaking to uh, his disciples. Uh, he says in fourteen twenty six of the Gospel of John, "But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send." In my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Okay, so here again, here again is his language. We've got Christ saying, The Father will send him in my name. Okay, so you have again this interaction between God and Christ sending the Spirit.
1: Right, yeah, and it's that phrase, In my name speaks to Jesus's agreement that that this is the father is sending the spirit in the name of Jesus which which speaks to the fact that Jesus the son the second person of the trinity is in agreement that there's uh in uh, there's a cohesion there's a, a a togetherness in this act that the father and the son uh, send the spirit uh John fifteen twenty six so one chapter over, you, you've already read this one, but it, it's worth repeating because we see now this theme of the Father and the Son both sending the Spirit, because in John fifteen twenty six Jesus says again, same discourse, he says, When the Helper comes, speaking of the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So uh, again, you see Jesus saying, that the Father will send uh, the Spirit through the Son. Uh, in other words, Jesus says He will He will send the Spirit, but He's sending Him from the Father. And so you have both that are active in sending the the Holy Spirit. In other words, that the Holy Spirit then sp- proceeds from that the the Father and the Son spirate. They send out the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about the the purpose for that uh, coming up. But the, the point we want to see now is that uh, we see this evidenced that the Father and the Son are sending, uh, they're, they're spirating the Holy Spirit um, for this particular purpose. Yeah,
0: man, that's so good. Those, you know, Again, those texts are so clear, right? They're, yeah. they're so yeah. clear. And I think that because of the um, events that unfold in the upper room with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, him identifying Judas as the betrayer, um, and, and parts of the narrative like that, it's easy just to kind of slip over these texts that talk about this issue. Because granted, we only spoke of two different texts here, you know, back-to-back mm-hmm. chapters. However, it, it's it's there, but you, you may miss it if, if you're not looking for it, right? Um yeah,
1: yeah, very and that's man, that's a great point and and it's it's important to to see this because it's easy, it's easy to miss. And uh, we haven't talked about this much in this episode because I think it's kind of implied and we've we've established it in other uh, conversations. but uh, the point of speaking about the procession of the Holy Spirit, uh part of the reason for that language of course it's biblical language but part of the reason for it is to to determine or to to emphasize the fact that the holy spirit is not created like this is an eternal procession it's part of the relationship between the father the son and the spirit now we see the activity coming in these particular texts but the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is an eternal one. In other words, this is not this uh, decision that's then made by the Father and the Son to say, "You know what? We're going to create a Holy Spirit and send Him to you." Rather, the Holy Spirit proceeds; He, the Father and the Son, spirate Him because this is an eternal relationship. It's the same as uh, the gener- the eternal generation of the Son. The Father, the Father, does not create the Son. Rather, the the Father begets the Son, and it's an eternal uh, relationship, and that that's vitally important. And again, Lance, it's easy to miss that uh, without having those lenses on. And so, that's our aim is to try to point those things out.
0: Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! We, we might have to go off the guide here for a minute. You <laughs> go, know. Come on! Come on! Now, you know, I like I like what you emphasize there you know that this wasn't an off the cuff decision by God and Christ um, that this this is the eternal plan of God, that they would send forth the Holy Spirit. Um, you know and, and th- I mean this personally, I mean this takes me back to Ephesians chapter one when Paul unfolds sure. this redemptive plan of God, the the redemptive plan of the ages, according to Ephesians chapter three. But in, in in Ephesians chapter 1, you know, what Paul lays out here is this eternal plan of redemption that God has set in motion that would be accomplished through Jesus Christ, I mentioned in verses uh, 3 through 12, but then at the conclusion of that monumental passage, verses 13 and 14, guess who shows up in this redemptive That's, plan? There you know, the is. Whole, the Holy Spirit does. Um, so again, just to your point and and just to bounce off of that, man, is that this procession, this spiration, this is of course being played out later in the redemptive plan, but it has always been in the redemptive plan.
1: Like you said, Mm -hmm. that's right. And, and and we need to have that established, uh, before we begin to have that conversation. So I, I think it's, it's important to, to, establish that and to make sure that we have those parameters in place and um it's not it's not impulsive and we've talked about this with the divine decrees we've talked about this in other uh conversations but i I think that that's really really important to maintaining a consistency with our understanding of the ontological trinity uh, that there is no change there is no uh diversion in essence. Uh, that, that's really, really important there. So, uh, man, where, where are we going next? Like, I I think the biblical data is clear there. Are there any other verses that we need to draw out? Are are you confident with those, those few that we've looked at? Do we need to go more? I mean, I I would say, look, even
0: if those were the only ones, even if those were the only ones, I mean, we've said this a lot on the podcast, you know? Even if just one verse speaks of something, and that's the only verse on that particular something, that, that, that would be good enough. But I, I think that we can move outside of the Gospel of John. Let's just say hypothetically that the Gospel of John doesn't exist. Could we okay. still lay out this doctrine? I think absolutely yes, mm. we could. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 30, you send forth your spirit... They are created. Uh, We could go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Um, I mean, you could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, um, where, where you see the same type of language. Um, any other ones you would add to that, TJ?
1: No, that, that, the Galatians four was the one I, I that was the other one I was going to mention because you have this, this very clear, uh, God sending forth the spirit and you have this attachment of his son, uh, again, d- pointing to the, the, this Trinitarian act. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. If, if we didn't have the gospel of John, you could still make this case from scripture, but praise be to God, we do have the Gospel of John, and the clarity of those verses—it's just striking. And so, there's no question when it comes to this actual doctrine in terms of the procession of the Holy Spirit. It's really clear in the doctrine of uh, in the Gospel of John, and then it's supplemented in these other passages that you've referenced. So, I, I think that the, the the data is overwhelming and is uh, very straightforward. There's no ambiguity,
0: man. <laughs> We've got I've got to read John 16:7 just just I've, I've just got to hear it. Yeah bring it Je- Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. but if I go, I will send him to you. I mean <laughs> it couldn't be any more clear. I mean case closed, case shut. Mm-hmm. Uh, the procession inspiration is a biblical concept.
1: Yes, and if you'll remember that initial question that we asked, if the Spirit is of the same essence, the same divine essence of the Son, could the Father have two sons, right? What is there to distinguish the persons of the Son and the Spirit? What what sets them apart from one another? Well, this is it. The the spirit proceeds that he comes forth from the father and the son so so there's a distinction there the it's the the son is not the same as the spirit and um and, and we see this and that's that's what prompted this conversation that's what what's kind of guided the the testimony of this of this uh episode to this point is to say that there is a distinction between the two um i i, I love this quote i'm going to read this quote here from from Augustine, uh, one of the early church fathers who, who if, if you're unfamiliar with him, I would encourage you to get familiar because he's, he's so vitally important to the story of Christianity. But I love this quote. I think it summarizes kind of where we've been. And then, Lance, will talk to, towards the more practical application of this uh, to close out the episode. But I love the way Augustine put this. He, he, he says, the Son is from the Father, and the Spirit is also from the Father. So we, we have this, this continuity between the two. And then he says this, but the former, speaking of the son, is begotten while the latter proceeds. So the former is the son of the father from whom he's begotten, but the latter is the spirit of both since he proceeds from both. So he's the spirit of the father and he's the spirit of the son. The father is the author of the spirit's procession because he begot such a son and in begetting him made him also the source from which the spirit proceeds. In other words, the father begets the son, the father and the son spirate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit proceeds from both the father and the son. Now, in mentioning this, Lance, uh, feel free tackle however much of this you want, or we can move right into the application side. But in mentioning Augustine, I simply want to to just say we had uh, laid out, and by we, I mean Lance had laid out this, this wonderful development of, of church history on this particular conversation. And there's just so many things that could be said, and so we, we've decided to, to essentially omit it. But... This is we're not on an island. Not only does scripture speak to this, but the church through the centuries has affirmed this over and over and over again to say that this is the biblical teaching, and it it demonstrates this distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do they relate to one another? Well, the Son is begotten of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from them both. That's the the Orthodox teaching of of the church through the centuries. It's what we see from scripture, and the church has affirmed this teaching. And we, standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, now say the same.
0: Yeah, man, we did leave out, you know, a chunk of the the guide that we had dedicated to some church history discussion, because, and that was even condensed down from the plethora of. <laughs> um debates and documentation and resources that really um document and record how this doctrine developed through the centuries and Hmm. we've talked about this like you mentioned on and off throughout the podcast on you know these ancient church creeds uh third fourth and fifth century uh churchmen rising up against heresies that were right uh pervasive in the land and trying to infiltrate the church i know the early church was defending god the early church was defending christ and it wasn't really until around the fourth century or so Mm -hmm. where the church began to focus on a full-blown defense of the holy spirit so if you were to do some research and dive back into the end of the the third and into the fourth century, that's where you're going to see the pneumatology, the Holy Spirit discussions and debates um, take place. I mean, if I could recommend a resource, it would be uh, God Has Spoken by Gerald Bray. Um, He gives extensive work to this particular issue, uh, the procession or spiration. And that's where I pulled a lot of this information from. TJ, I think you... Worked through um, Greg Allison's historical theology. I, I That's think, right. Does that does that have a decent amount of content on this as well?
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's there's discussion here both in the doctrine of the whole, so so Allison's historical theology essentially takes a systematic approach in looking at different doctrines and then traces the historical development of those doctrines through major epochs or eras of of. Uh, church history, and there's discussion on this within the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and within the doctrine of the Trinity. And uh, it was very helpful, gave some clarity, um, really, really recommend that resource, not just for this discussion, but for lots of other things. If you have any interest in development of doctrine, development of church history, uh, Allison's Historical Theology is a tremendous resource to have on the shelf. Yeah, here
0: and, and just to kind of dip our toes in the water here, here's what Gerald Bray says about the Holy Spirit in the early church. He says, "...the divinity of the Holy Spirit was clearly affirmed by the early Christians, but precisely how his relationship to the Father and the Son should be described remained something of a mystery." So there was an affirmation of who the Holy Spirit was early in the church, uh, that the Holy Spirit was indeed God. But it wasn't until later in church history... Um, that people began to defend his particular relationship to God and Christ. R- really, the ontological aspect of the Holy Spirit was defended, but the economic wasn't until later. It's it's not that they didn't believe that; it just right. wasn't fully, you know, uh, putting pen and paper. Uh, I guess you could right. say until later on.
1: That's right. So. Man, there, there's a there's a full conversation that's still to be had there, and perhaps one day we'll come back and and hash this out a little bit on a future episode. But let's let's transition now as we kind of bring this discussion to a close. We've got a couple more headings, and they're they're on the more practical side. So here I am. I've listened to this episode thus far. I've done some some thought. I've read through the upper room discourse of John, wherever, you know, our listeners might be. So a couple of questions come to mind. The first one I want to ask you is this, what potential dangers lie in the weeds for us if we're not careful when we approach this conversation, when we approach this doctrine, when we say, yes, we affirm the procession of the Holy Spirit, and if we do so haphazardly, what what dangerous conclusions could we end up falling into if we don't have certain guardrails in place? Yeah,
0: I think initially uh, I would say that you could somehow begin to believe that the Holy Spirit is less than God or that He didn't have any say-so. In mm-hmm. other words, God and Christ are like, hey man, here's, here's what you're doing, Like, deal with it. Right. You know? Right. Um right. after I die and resurrect, you're coming just a few weeks later. That's just how it is, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, this idea that yeah, you know, God and Christ they're in control, they're fully God, but the Holy Spirit just isn't on their level. Right. You you could run into that danger, I think.
1: There's there's such a a a possibility of of having that happen even I would say maybe especially within the Gospel of John. I think it's just easy to do that if you're not careful. And and I, I'm so glad you identified that first and foremost. I love this quote from Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas, I uh, believe he was 13th century, uh, but he was Middle Ages theologian, also very, very important. But I love this quote that Aquinas uh, has where he says, if there were any equality in the divine persons, and that is to say if the Holy Spirit were in any way uh, less than the father or the son. There were any equality, they would not have the same essence. They would not be of the same being. and thus they would not be one God, which is impossible. So we have affirmed over and over again, extensively in multiple conversations, the uh, the same divine essence, characterizes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. We, we hold unwaveringly to that. And so if you are to somehow conclude, like you mentioned, Lance, that the Holy Spirit is somehow less than the Father or the Son, that distorts the doctrine of the Trinity, and you've got all sorts of problems if that's the case. Uh, so that's really, really important that we don't uh, fall into uh, this th- this kind of Potential dangerous conclusion. Uh, related to that, th- the other one that I would want to highlight, and of course, if you want to throw in some more, that's that's perfectly fine. Uh, but we don't want to. This is related. We don't want to suggest that there is any sort of disunity, uh, that there's any sort of compulsion. Uh, you, you know, you you, you mentioned that. We don't want the Holy Spirit. We don't want to per, portray the Holy Spirit as being less than the Father or the Son, uh, but we also don't want to portray the Holy Spirit as having a different will, or, or that there's mm-hmm. multiple desires within the Trinity. That, that's not the case. There is no disunity. Uh, the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three have decreed together. And so, uh, shameless plug, back in our early days, I think it's episode 21 if I looked this up beforehand and wrote it down correctly. But we did an episode on the divine decrees, and we talked about what it means for God to ordain and to uh, determine and to establish. And this covenant that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit make together speaks to the purpose and the unity of the purpose of what they're doing. so the the Holy Spirit is completely uh, on board. Uh, there's no there's no distinction of their wills. Um, that's really important that we understand that because if if again, if we if we miss this, if we distort this, we we fall into a lot of problems with the Trinity. So we want to have those those guardrails up and say, we affirm the procession. But we don't want to in any way endanger these other conclusions that we've that we've drawn.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's absolutely right, man. Because if you were to fall into any of those dangers that we just mentioned, then you're moving outside of the, the biblical text, the biblical data, right. outside of orthodox Christianity, and that's not where we want to go, of course. Right. 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 Um, so, so I think that that you know wraps up really the body uh, of our episode and we want to just conclude our time by drawing out a few application points. Um, I, I think that we mentioned these or at least mentioned this idea, you know, a, a, at the get go here is that we wanted to take this discussion out of the academic world and get it back into the church. Uh, because this, does have application for the church. This has application for every single individual Christian. Um, So at least in terms of application, I would kick it off this way, is that this doctrine, the spiration, procession, is this just adds more weight to the reality that the Holy Spirit is God. He is deity. Mm. You, You know, it doesn't say that that God and Christ are sending forth an angel. Um, it doesn't say that they're right. sending forth a human only, or a human at all, rather. But, but it says that they're sending forth one that's just like them. Uh, they're right. sending forth the third member. They're sending forth God. Um, we need to understand that reality. And if the Holy Spirit is God, which he is, and this adds to that, then, believer, the Holy Spirit, He indwells you. He, he lives right. within you. Uh, your That's body right. is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what could be more practical than that?
1: Yeah. Well, and connected to this, I, I, I love that you added this this note on here, that this this doctrine of the processional Holy Spirit, to say that the the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son— points to the reality that he was sent, that he spirated, as we've said, from the Father and the Son for a particular purpose. And, And it points to, it draws our attention to, it adds weight to the work of the Holy Spirit, in particular, his work of applying redemption, his work of indwelling believers, all the things that we talked about in our previous episode, when we hashed out all the things that he does as the one who indwells believers, all the work that he does in sanctification, in, uh, uh, um, sealing us for the day of redemption, all the work that he does in regenerating us, um, opening our eyes to the truth, um, all of that stuff, it, it, it speaks to the fact that he came in order to accomplish those particular things—it uh, it speaks to his his role within the economic Trinity—to uh, say that he did come for a particular purpose. Uh, he he did have a, a a reason to come, and so that uh, is just affirmed. It's. Uh, highlighted, it's accented by this doctrine to say that he proceeded uh, or that he eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son.
0: Yeah, man, that's so good. See, this is why I was that hype when we hit record. Yeah. I mean, we've yeah. been trying to get this thing recorded now for a couple weeks. Um, well, I think that that, uh, unless you have anything else to add in terms of application, but I think that takes us right into uh, uh, to the initiative. Uh, for for this episode. Now, uh, just a couple comments before I, I read this quote um, from the doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Actually, today, uh, as we're recording this episode on March 1st, I think 40 years ago today was, was when Martin Lloyd-Jones right. died, right? Did you see
1: that today? That's right. I think I that did. was
0: on Twitter going around, so I didn't fact check that before, so... I, ho- I hope I'm that's the situation.
1: I just, I just, I just fact checked it.
0: <laughs> but when when I saw that, that made me think about a book that I have of his uh, on my shelf. It's called God, the Holy Spirit, and uh, the chapter, the deity of the Holy Spirit, was actually a lecture given on December eleventh, nineteen fifty three. So here, here's what Lloyd Jones says, and I think this pretty much wraps up what we've been arguing for this episode. Uh, Lord Jones says, the scriptures teach that there is a division of labor between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love that, by the way. A division mm-hmm. of labor. He's talking about the economic trinity there. Right. They all have different works, uh, different roles. Um, he, he goes on to say, the father is all the fullness of the godhead invisible the son is all the fullness of the godhead manifested visibly wow and then he says and the spirit is all the fullness of the godhead acting immediately upon the creature wow i mean that i mean That's
1: outstanding
0: you know that's what we're trying to advocate for on this episode that this isn't some far and distant doctrine that the procession and inspiration of the spirit directly relates to the individual christian and i think lloyd jones articulates that perfectly
1: that was gold um i was unfamiliar with that quote um really glad that you pulled that out and read that there that was uh Man, that's outstanding. Um, I mean, In terms of of my initiative, I, I'd like to make two quick points. The, the the first being that I just want to reemphasize the fact that this act of the procession of the Holy Spirit is is an eternal act. Uh, I think it can be very easy to to read this as if it's happening in time that Jesus ascends post-resurrection and then that the Father and the Son send him to the earth. Yes, that does happen in the economic trinity, but there's a relationship aspect that's happening within the ontological trinity itself that says that the, the Father begets the Son and that the Son and the Father uh, spirate the Holy Spirit, and it happens eternally. It has an eternal origin. Uh, because we do not want to suggest that uh, there's a change happening within the Trinity. This relationship is an eternal one. It manifests itself uh, in the economic Trinity when we see uh, this activity occur. And so I, I think it's it's just important to, to have that distinction. Now, with that being said, there's a level of inability to comprehend that like my my brain like explodes when I think about those things and so I want to I want to point to this quote from uh, Gregory of uh, Ninzis who fourth century theologian he, he says this uh, he, he well he, he says that the exact understanding of these concepts as they relate to the Trinity they approach an incomprehensible mystery which, he says, would make people, quote, frenzy-stricken for prying into the mystery of God. And then he says, And who are we to supply an account of the divine nature which is so unspeakable and transcending all words? In other words, this doctrine should compel us to worship. And in preparing this episode, man, like, I was just... I think I tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this. I was just overwhelmed at this reality, and my brain couldn't comprehend it all. And yet, I'm still just in awe, and I'm just drawn to worship our God, to know this is, to a certain degree, if you've listened to this and go, man, I'm not sure I'm tracking. Then maybe you are tracking perfectly because that's exactly <laughs> uh, the nature of this conversation. It's just, it's to a, to a certain point, it's beyond our understanding. And we have such a gift to be able to look into these things and to think about uh, the revelation of who God is. Well, I I will leave it up to the listener to determine if this lived up to the other previous 61 episodes, but I'm with you. That was an absolute blast. And, and hopefully if you're listening up to this point, hopefully you've subscribed. But if you haven't done so yet, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe, listen to us on our YouTube channel. You can like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore, our underscore informants, and you can find links to all of our social media platforms, all previous episodes, and Reformed Informants gear all on our website at www.themajestysmen.com slash Reformed Informants. If you have any questions or
0: suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.